Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the diverse worlds of regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I'm thrilled to guide you through this week's episode. So let's jump right in. Hi, this is Sarah Reeves from New Society Publishers. We are big fans of the Abundant Edge podcast. Oliver's guests talk about so many of the same topics that we publish on, and he talks with a lot of our authors too. We are proud to be a sponsor of this podcast that is doing such valuable work spreading the word about how to create a finer future together. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. If you're looking for solutions-oriented books, please visit our online store at newsociety.com, other online retailers, or visit a fine bookstore near you. Here we are, the end of 2019 and season three of this podcast. For those of you who've been following this show for a while, you know that I went through a lot of big changes this year. Most notably, a big move from the permaculture farm setup that I worked on for about 16 months in Guatemala. And from there, I took some big trips through southern Mexico and the U.S. and a bit in Canada to where I finally settled down in the Catalonia region of northeastern Spain. Now, though I live really far away from where I started the year, I thought it'd be a good chance here at the end of the season to check in with Neil Hegarty, the co-owner of Granja Siquín in Guatemala, where this year began for me, to see how things have progressed and developed since I moved away. I know a lot of you followed along in our journey through the regenerative roundtable sessions of last season as we planned and started building out the design for the farm, so hearing how the design has started to mature should be a good update. In this interview, Neil fills me in on how the animal enterprises that were just taking shape while I was there are becoming more consistent and regimented, and how they feed the other enterprises on the farm like the cafe restaurant, the permaculture courses, the development of the hostel space, and much more. They've also made some important alliances in their community and around Guatemala that are helping them reach more people in their village in their goal to facilitate a better market for high-quality local farm products and a better price for wholesale goods. We also talk about some of the promising big design projects that Neil is taking on, which have the potential to regenerate large acreage of damaged land in some of the most biodiverse regions of Peten in the north of the country. Now, as I mentioned, this episode wraps it up for Season 3. 2019 was a really major year for me personally and for the audience of this podcast. Together with you who are listening now, we more than doubled the subscribers to this show and got so much beautiful and heartfelt feedback from so many of you that it really renewed my faith that this show is bringing the information and the inspiration that many of you are looking for. So thank you sincerely to everyone who has supported the show and sent feedback this year. It means the world to me. And thanks so much to New Society Publishers especially for their collaboration and support and for making it possible to provide this content without any long pleas for Patreon donations. Being able to advocate for an organization with integrity and strong ethics means the world to me. So Season 4 of the Abundant Edge Podcast will kick off strong again with brand new episodes starting on February 7th. But stay tuned before then because I'll be reposting the most popular shows from this last year again until I return. So now I'll hand things over to Neil. Hey, Neil, great to be talking to you again. How's everything going down in Guatemala? Yeah, Oliver, good to hear your voice. Um, things, are, things are going great. Uh, really, really busy, but 
yeah, things are going really well. Yeah, I would imagine you guys are just coming out of the rainy season. Well, you're probably about a month out now and getting into the high season for tourism in that area. It must be gorgeous right now, no? Yeah, it's beautiful. This is like the nicest time of year in a way because, you know, the rainy season, was it was, a, it was an intense rainy season. It rained a lot and then just kind of stopped bang dead on the start of November, kind of like as scheduled. And now everything's still really green after the rainy season, but it's like it's kind of a little cooler at night and, and it's just warm and sunny during the day. So it's, it's a lovely time to be here. Awesome. Well, here, look, I think it's, uh, it's great that we have the opportunity to catch up here as you guys are heading into the third year of the Gran Hasikin project. And I'd love to talk about all of the different things that have been developing uh, since the last year, since I was kind of involved with the project. It sounds like you guys are doing some amazing stuff and really expanding on those little enterprises that you were uh, developing when I was there last. Do you want to tell me a little bit about some of the major projects that you've been pushing forward? Uh, yeah, in some ways it's been about like dialing in and doing better what we were already doing in a way. I think when you were here, we'd established a lot of interesting prototypes. Um, you know, the goat house above the chicken house and that kind of fall down compost system, uh, the coffee processing, um, the cheese making, all those things were like, they were working, but we needed to kind of like dial them in. <laughs> so, uh, it's been a lot about that, I would say. And then the house also, like getting the house finished and fit for purpose has also been like, has taken a lot of energy. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of it. Um, we built, uh, we built this year the, it was definitely the most fun thing I've ever designed. We were racking our brains trying to think of how to, um, uh, how to set up a proper system for drying our coffee. Um, and we were thinking, if you remember where the chicken house is, just below the goat house, we were thinking of just putting a very strong roof over that. Um, and But then we were kind of looking at it, actually with Chewy, Chris, who used to be here, uh, we were looking at it with him and we were sort of saying like, well, this is going to take so many posts to make this roof strong enough to walk on because it's a big area that we had to roof in. And eventually, actually, Lorenzo from Daddy Leo Chocolate happened to be here, and we were sort of <laughs> just like sitting around, kind of talking this out. And he was like, "Well, why don't you just? This is the best. This spot has the best view on the farm. Why don't you just put a deck over the over the animal house, and then a light roof on top of that, and you can dry your coffee on that." And <laughs> so that's what we did. And then while I was building it, uh, it took like a good amount of engineering. So we were super glad that. that Chewy was here, um, and uh, we but we figured it out, and now the deck is finished. And then we built uh, like a vertical solar dryer for the coffee in one section of it over on the western um, over on the western side, um, so that we've got like vertical. So we take advantage of vertical space and all the wind that flows through there. So that's actually working really well. And now the coffee dries down into the animal house, and. Uh, then as well as having a place to dry coffee, we have a space for doing yoga in the morning uh, and, and like a big restaurant space. It's got a great view of the lake. And then at night, we started doing events up there as well, kind of like farming. It's like definitely, of all the things I've ever been involved in designing and building, it was like, it's like the most multifunctional thing that we've ever done, I think. 
Well, so tell me a little bit more about the vertical dryer for the coffee, because it's one of the few things I haven't seen pictures of on the new website. Is it a matter of like taking out racks that you then fill and they're stacked on top of each other and then drain out into the compost below? Exactly. Exactly. It's a, uh, it's how big are it, those racks? It's like a frame. The each rack is about two meters long and, uh, maybe 80 centimeters wide. Okay. Yeah. Pretty big. Um, and yeah, so nice. They can fit, you know, each one fits a couple of like five gallon buckets of coffee. And then, yeah, that's exactly what we do. We put the wettest coffee down low. Uh, and then when it's like dried a bit, we move it up. And so we have three levels to the thing. We're actually thinking of putting in a fourth level now because the, the, there's more coffee coming in. Uh, yeah. But it dries really quick because as you can imagine, that's like our wind zone as well. That's where the wind comes in off the lake and it yep. rushes through there. Um, so it's, a, it, it's perfect. And that same wind also, cause you know, animal houses, no matter how well you manage them, some tend to smell, but ours just doesn't at all. Cause I think cause how much we move that compost and also cause we get that wind just flowing through there all the time. So it also then works great as a restaurant space. And it's really what kind of what we're all about at the, at the restaurant is like, you know, you're going to see exactly where your food comes from and how it's made. And it's kind of like a nice vantage point within the farm. People can look down and see the chickens. They can, either throw, they can even throw their food waste straight down into them. Uh, <laughs> closing all those loops. Closing all those loops. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> stacking functions. Um, so that, yeah, that, man, that was so much fun. So satisfying to see that that actually come together uh i felt like i learned a lot about uh kind of structural engineering from billy as well um so no it was a great project uh and so that and yeah like i said dialing in the other things that we have like <laughs> i actually think the best thing like the sort of smartest thing i did in a way uh in my whole life maybe was was think of this we were really racking our brains to think of how can how can we age cheeses without building a cellar because i didn't we didn't really have money to build a proper cellar so eventually i started talking to chico here our um our, our carpenter who's an amazing uh like real artist and uh i had these coolers you know those like big cooler boxes um that people take picnics of and so oh, i had the yeah, idea yeah. with chico we just basically built a frame that fits into them that you can close the lid over, but that sits right across the top and has bars that go kind of vertically across. Uh, and then we, we, we tie the cheeses to those bars and hang them and then close the lids of the coolers. Uh, so it's meant we can like really like age our cheeses and, and do things without building like a big structure that I'm just not going to have money to build for another year or two. You know? <laughs> so like, I don't know, I'll probably like make a video or take photos of that. Yeah, you should. If you get photos, send them over. I'll try and have those out before before this goes live. Yeah. So yeah, as an example of like something like a practical solution that like saved us a ton of money uh that we didn't have. It was it was definitely a good one. So that's a load of in a way to I think improve the quality of the of the dairy operation, the milk. That was another thing we got right this year, you know, like when you were here, we timed the pregnancies of the goats wrong so that they were like in full production in low season, and then they were yeah, like, that was a, what they got that was a tricky thing, wasn't it? Oof, that was a killer, you know that that cost that cost us like thousands of quetzales, and 
so we got that like spot on this year. We got a we got a good male in at the right time, and and they got they were pregnant for uh, for the whole of low season. So how did it go with that breeding um, program? Again, I know you were mentioning about like trying to get a better breed in there specifically for milking. Is that what you got? Yeah, yeah, I did. Like, I actually took like a week at one point uh, last year, or actually I can't remember when it was. And I just went around and I just went goat farmer hunting. Um, and I visited, like, I just asked a bunch of people before I left, like, who who does the best goat, who has the best goat operation in Guatemala. Uh, and I found, like, one guy in particular who was just really doing it right, a guy in Tecban, um, Don Mako, um, and a, a character as well, really connected. Uh, so I bought a couple of females off him. Um, and uh, and we came back with those, and then he also, I got a male from him as well. Uh, so that male was the one who did the business uh, this time around, and now also from the previous round of pregnancies, uh, one of the females that I brought in from Don Mako's herd gave birth to a male, so we kept him and we fattened him, so he's going to be our breeder for next year. That's exciting. What have you got the herd up to at this point? Uh, right now we're at, uh, we got nine producing milk and we got another three that are pregnant. Um, no, sorry, four, four more pregnant ones. And so what I want to do with the pregnant ones, because that was another part of learning this season was that I want to keep three of three or four of them and not get them pregnant at the end of high season so that they keep producing for us in low season because we've kind of got to the point where even though low season hits, there's still like a decent demand for milk. And that was a flow that we lost on this year um, because, uh, you know, because we got bigger a little bit more. Um, I think like every year it's just worth bringing in some fresh blood. That's one of the things I'm learning that like, you know, breeding your own goats is great, but there's a sort of like uh, yeah, you just need to keep making effort, I think, to always bring in like maybe one female or swap one for another one. And, sure, especially at the size of herd that you have uh, because you're not dealing with really big really numbers and it's going to start inbreeding if you don't mix it up often enough. Yeah, and, and kind of quickly, you know. Sure, sure. Um, so let's break down kind of where the farm operation is and then we'll talk about some of the other enterprises that you have. So what is taking up most of the labor and the time and what's producing most of the economics as far as the products actually coming off the land? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so right now the garden has been taking up a lot of my energy. Uh, and I don't actually have, I don't, don't really have the number of the garden's kale or like cooking greens like charred spinach kale so we sell bags of those we also grow a lot of sweet potato onion um you know leeks uh things that we serve in the restaurant eat ourselves all the time so it's a little difficult to vegetables we buy them um and you can buy vegetables cheap here but to me it's like so the actual economic benefit if i was just selling at market prices from the garden to the kitchen it's hard to say that it would be like a hugely profitable enterprise in a way uh, you'd be maybe talking about a few hundred kids of the of this, this sort of experience we provide to our visitors and also 
the quality of diet for ourselves, the more food that garden produces, the, you know, the better. So there's a lot of unquantifiables in the garden, I would say. And it's, it's definitely been taking a lot of energy. I built a greenhouse a couple of weeks ago with uh, Marcel, one of our long-term volunteers, uh, up in the kind of like the sun zone up like next to where, um, you know, and like, so I started doing a trail there with like four different kinds of tomatoes, uh, you know, put them in planter bags in a nursery, really spoiling them. Because uh, I want to, one of the things I want to do is I want to have like our own, my main aim with this actually is to get the greenhouse set up and also identify one or two varieties of tomato that will produce for us here. Because tomatoes in Central America is like, it's not easy. Um, yeah, I remember that was one of, of the things we our... struggled with in the garden last time. <laughs> yeah, it does work in the in the garden because um, we well for one we irrigate with a sprinkler so they get their leaves wet and they just hate that um, and they yeah they're 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 peculiar and the the, the white fly is the musk of get one if they get if they get attacked by that or if they get one of like a million different sicknesses they seem to be able to get uh, it's it's tough so but the greenhouse helps because they don't get cold at night and we can also isolate them from bugs um and to me i kind of like the idea of having like one super intensive area on the farm one like moderately intensive area which is the garden um and then like the rest and, and so that's also you know i i kind of like the ratio the way it is in terms of uh, in terms of like energy input um, but yeah, right now it's still a lot of energy and it's hard to quantify the gains from that because there's somewhat out But the thing that brings in the most money per per unit of labor is the goats. Sure. Uh, you know, like that's nice business now. You know, it's like 20 late, 20 late. Um, they normally go like around the streets just selling leche. And uh yeah, and so if you kind of extrapolate that price to a liter, it's about 30 quetzales for a liter, and that's what we sort of sell it at because, um, and you know, we sell the cheese for an equivalent price. Uh, and it's really not that much time at this point. You know, they get they get walked twice a day by, uh, by locating them and bringing them to different areas all the time. Uh, we, we cut greens from the kind of borders and the... You know, you're maybe talking, uh, yeah, you're maybe talking about like four hours of labor altogether. Um, and it's, yeah, it's chickens also, you know, at this point, the chickens just kind of do their thing. They're on the compost piles. They're, you know, again, for like the amount that we put into them and, and, the, and the value of good quality eggs, it's like, it's great. Um, because a lot of the chickens, you know, the, the chickens, a lot of their good diet comes from the fact that we weed the garden every morning for like an hour. And then so the first thing they eat is like a bucket of, of greens from the garden. And then they get the previous night's kitchen scraps. So it's like the first, they don't get any uh, feed until we give them that, you know, and then, they, and then we do give them a feed, like concentrate a medication free concentrate because we put apple cider vinegar in there which we started brewing from uh from mothers that we get from love probiotics um 
you know, remixing uh, the whey from the goats um, and a bunch of minerals. We make biochar and we mix in sea salt and ash and all these other things. So it's nice that I would say we're at about like a third of the recommended industry input for grain and we're like at, you know, equivalent production and far higher quality. Um, so that's working and, and I'm looking forward to kind of like expanding it in a way. Um, the compost is, is working as well. Um, yeah. You told me you really expanded that operation. Tell me what's been the feed for getting that, um, producing even more than before. Again, it's been like dialing in, you know, like we had a concept last year, uh, or that we left over the first two years of like cleaning the garbage house and then I was down from one level to the next. We just like dialed it in, you know. Um, for one thing, we have more animals, so there's more there's more volume moving through it. Um, we, you know, we we've really put the worm system down at the bottom of it, uh, like how to efficiently we can harvest that worm couple. So that's actually something we're gonna expand in the in the in the coming weeks is that system. Um, but yeah, it's just working much more smoothly. And also like the kind of word got out that if you want good organic compost, good. Um, Cause that's a good thing with the work there. So we can actually afford to be very competitive on pricing. You know? We're even selling, um, you know, we're selling compost to, to local farmers now as well um, because they get that it's better than putting chemical on it and we can be on chemicals on it and we can, oh. And we can, uh, um, sorry, we can we can be competitive with the price with the with the price of you know triple fifteen, which is what they which is what they use here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of like there's a lot of farmers there's a lot a lot of farm landowners here who are doing like landscaping projects and gardening projects and all those kinds of things. And you know, having you're not you're not going to go to business making fertile soil uh, anytime in the next century i don't think yeah yeah for sure well so let's talk about some of the perennial systems that you guys were just starting to put in when i was leaving did you guys get the orchard planted this time around or is there still some left to do there yeah we got about half of it done uh it was a lot like it's hard to do that um landscaping here to the level that we want it to be oh um, i just remember how many rocks so are on that terrain that's all, not easy yeah. work no 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 it was hard um so we, yeah we got about half it landscaped and it's really nicely landscaped you know it looks great um the, we planted a plant heirlooms um that have most of them have done well i think two of them have died uh, so I realized they need they need a lot of shade, those ones when they're young. Peaches, figs, um, lots of mulberry around the edges. Uh, and we did a nice, it was nice in terms of trying out like a kind of successional model as well because we planted a lot of pigeon pea and sorghum, uh, which did great at kind of creating shade for the young trees, but also like gave us really good, um, gave us really good yields. So we actually like sorghum blew my mind this year as a as a perennial grain. I was just like, oh my god! Like we, I almost just I just threw seeds of it around, almost like a mulch, uh, and they just germinated and did their thing. Uh, you know, we got like, uh, oh yeah, like about 150 pounds of sorghum this year. Um, 
Um, and it's just going to grow back next year. You know, it's amazing. Um, and same with pigeon pea. We got good harvest of pigeon pea and then also great amounts of forage. And so having those plants and sweet potato was another one. But that's kind of what that was sort of the, the system we did was like fruit trees in every five meters and some interesting bushes and other perennials and medicinals. But then lots and lots of we just like broadcast seeds of, uh, of pigeon pea and, uh, and sorghum and then put down sweet potatoes, ground cover. Uh, and so it did it did really well you know and like the sweet potato we've harvested some patches of it and a lot of the rest of it I think we just leave it so that the kind of tubers rot in the ground and it you know those things just go and and, and they're, they're they're also great forage like our chickens love to to eat sweet potato leaves so because eventually once I've created the yard system with our animals so we send our chickens down there uh and then over to the other one to let it rest and um so that's something i'm really excited about you know absolutely well i'm really um, glad to then, hear that all of the ecological aspects then, have been really moving forward uh why don't you start to explain a little bit about some of the community projects that have taken hold i know that you guys are working closer with anna cafe the big uh, organization that helps to govern and promote the cultivation of coffee in that area. Tell me how you're working with them. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> felt a lot like manifesting this community cooperative because we've got a nice model now with the coffee with Tim and Shangri-La where, uh, you know, we buy in the coffee, we process it, we turn all the... Uh, excess products into into fertility um and uh and tim roasted and we it's it's really high quality coffee because coffee grows so well here but I, i've been saying for a while it would be sweet if we could like get a bunch of locals involved and develop our own organic brand um and then like right when they came on they were like yo we uh we heard what you're doing we give like free uh capacitations um and we sat down, I had a look at their manual. It's basically good agroforestry. There's a lot of similar things to what we teach in the permaculture courses. You know, um, they teach a good part about uh, soil retention, uh, you know, working on contour, using green manures that you can chop and drop, uh, using the proper shade, when to prune, how to prune, all these things, you know, that like really do make a big difference. and. Basically, the only thing is that I had doubts about was they're ambivalent about uh, fertility. And I just said, look, we can do this if, um, if, you own, if, if you basically teach them that it has to be organic coffee. Uh, and they were, they were kind of doubtful about it first, but I said, look, otherwise I'm not doing it. Uh, they have like a mandate to increase the quality and quantity of coffee exported from Guatemala every year. So it's in their interest to work with us um, because we can actually offer the farmers a better price for doing the courses because that's what happens a lot of the time uh, is they don't, they find it hard to get any work done in the rural areas because the coffee prices are so low. Uh, the people are just like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I get, you know, I get 80 quetzales for, for a hundred pounds of coffee. It's not of worth course. it. Um, so they were psyched to see that we were there. And so it was a good alliance and, yeah, in the end, they were totally, I, they got it. I was like, look, this is what I, I want to be able to pay people more. So I want to be able to charge more. So I want to get like a proper organic thing going. And that will hopefully 
hopefully create momentum and encourage more people to switch over. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like, that's my plan. And a bit the vision in a way with the goats is that a lot of the trees that are great uh, shade species for coffee are also great forage species for goats. So I see a real symbiosis between uh, holistic goat management and um, and coffee farming because goats don't eat coffee either. So you can literally take them into the cafe, into the coffee fields. You can prune the shade trees and have them walk along behind you. Uh, you know, and like uh, you know, almost my dream would be to I think set up a few other families with goats uh, and kind of train them how to manage them and and include in the in the workshops that uh you know this is some this is a free service that you can basically have someone goats have someone's goats come onto your land they'll prune your trees for you and the goats will clean the undergrowth and uh and poop everywhere you know so that would be like i don't know i guess that's my uh um like five or ten year like master plan <laughs> <laughs> no that's super exciting so Within this, this kind of larger vision of how all of these things interconnect, tell me about some of the enterprises that are help giving sort of an economic justification for these things that uh, in the global or in the Guatemalan smaller market are hard to sell, especially farm goods sort of at a wholesale price, even if they are of higher, higher value. But you've got the cafe and you've got now the hostel, which you've turned the, uh, the original house design into to support kind of a larger gathering space than the original design tell me how that's evolved yeah um i guess it's really two questions like the first one about like how do you actually make sustainable agriculture uh, uh viable um yeah that's like the kind of the million dollar question in a way in guatemala we're lucky that we have like a tourist market here where we can sort of charge you know fair prices for the quality of the food we're producing but it is hard to uh it's hard to bridge that gap and a little bit. I think it's a little bit like Joel Salatin says. Sometimes you just have to put on another hat. Sometimes, you know, he, he says, you know, people always complain that the middlemen get all the money in agriculture. And he says, well, if you don't like it, then just be the middleman. You know, wear that hat. Um, and that was kind of something that stayed with me. So we do make a big enough, a big effort, I would say, to uh, to think about like the distribution and the marketing of our products and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's where working, having the cooperative model with Atitlan Organics has been a real help because we can sort of split the effort of transport and marketing and we can also pool sales. So when Shad gets an order for salad, he's like, oh, we also can offer cheese and yogurt um, and bags of kale. Uh, so that that helps a lot and, you know, and vice versa. Um, and I, you know, I think it all goes back to the, the importance of cooperatives, really. The, the cooperative model did largely fall apart here in the Civil War. Um, and you can go into why that was, uh, maybe on a different show. Uh, yeah, that, that had a big effect on the way agriculture works in the country, I think. It's very exploitative here. Um, where most people very much work to produce commodities that are exported and and have value added to them like enormously multiple times so they don't see any of that profit so yeah it's uh, an unfortunate story yeah, very common in the global south. Plan, 
Yeah, and that's why we would like to have our own kind of fair trade organic coffee, for example, in Sununa that has like almost like worldwide appeal. Um, and, you know, because we'd love to, what we're hoping to do as well with this coffee project is make it available as an international volunteer kind of experience, um, especially kind of marketed, especially sort of designed for like, people who are specifically interested in learning uh, about agroforestry and are specifically interested in reforestation. Uh, because, you know, so we, can, we want to set up a kind of a program here where groups who want to learn about those types of things can come here, uh, you know, learn a bit of the theory of, of, of agroforestry and what, what it is and why it's important and how to do the basics of how to do it right. And then actually just go and help a local person to join this organic cooperative and have uh, have the right support trees planted on their land, have like permanent soil retention work done. Um, so that's like, I guess it's a way we're trying to find like positive interactions between the tourist uh, industry here and the, the sort of ecology of the area, if you know what I mean. So a lot of what we're doing, aside for, as, as, as well as that program, is like is looking for, to find those kinds of uh, symbiotic relationships I guess you'd say so um, yeah that's very much the idea with the hostel is uh, it's the place where volunteers can can come and stay uh, you know we charge like a very competitive normal hostel rate uh, and then we actually give a discount on that rate and we give two meals to our to our long to our volunteers who are staying for um, for two weeks or longer uh, and that's been so we built it we built a dormitory onto the side of the house uh you know put in like nice bunk beds and it's it's super cozy you know uh and and with the deck that's now finished it makes for a nice kind of uh community kind of um yeah just chill sorts of tends tends to attract like similar types of people people who are interested in permaculture and having a different type of tourist experience and so it's a great way that people can kind of come here live economically you know live for like and eat super well eat from a farm but also support this project you know which is what kind of what it's all about and we're increasingly now looking sending some of our longer term volunteers are starting to help out with the uh with the community project that's happening here where we're doing a lot of uh, in conjunction with ethics and organics we're doing a lot of like uh local gardens and gray water systems and sometimes some house repair and things like that um for for families here in Sununa, uh, um, so and, and that that program is expanding as well. You know, we we plan to do uh, we plan to do like I say a lot more reforestation rainy season, um, and also to set up more and more community members to be organic producers in the area. So that's kind of like where a lot of the focus is at the moment, because really with the water here in Sununa and the climate we. We, there's no reason we can't be sort of like food sovereign in the area, but um, it yeah, it requires working, I guess, on a lot of different levels. Of course, of course, yeah. The complex dynamics of bringing that many different elements to work in conjunction, but it's you know it's always fun and it's a huge learning experience. It's definitely what I got from it. Um, and with that in mind, I know you're also doing a lot of work outside of the, the immediate community and starting to consult and design for bigger projects. You want to tell me about some of the stuff you're working on these days? Yeah, it's been exciting, man. Um, it's been, it really started to take off. I think 
probably not coincidentally just a right around the same time that this place started to look really nice <laughs> and actually be productive. Uh, I think people started to kind of come and see it and, work and be like, whoa, I want, uh, I want one of those. Um, so yeah, that, it's, it, it was, it was good. Um, let me see the first really big, exciting one that came in was a project in a DWAC to do like a, a like an eco community. This guy bought a, bought a big piece of land, like 20 acres up outside of Antigua in the mountains. And uh, he, he decided he wanted to do like a, a permaculture design on the whole property and then sell like lots to his friends. Um, so he was, you know, and it's, it's a beautiful property. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually mostly an, a Haas avocado kind of monoculture. Uh, and it was a really interesting design. Uh, kind of like thinking about like how to diversify the 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 Haas monoculture, but uh, and also like you know stack functions into that and 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 make it into more of like a food producing lush kind of a community. So that was an interesting one. It was in quite a dry area where they get a lot of rain in rainy season and it's very dry for wet season. So a lot of water capture um, and storage and all these things. Uh, and it actually led directly into another uh, to another project, which is uh, a family who have two thousand acres in Beten, um, and they're very motivated to do a huge amount of reforestation. But they didn't really realize until I talked to them that they had a huge they had their family had a huge uh, cattle ranching operation on there for years, and it's still there. But it's the kind of typical. The typical thing in the likes of like just no trees, just grasslands, it's like hiding under the only piece of shade there is for five miles. Um, and you know, so we started talking, and I was saying, you know, you could do like a really interesting silver here, uh, as well as doing all the reforestation, and then I. Quite convinced, somewhat we we it was coming up with nine, but we community uh, right by them. So we decided we decided that we're going to try and design a system where the community who have up until now been encroaching onto the land and like burning areas and you know to plant corn that we're going to set up a whole sort of uh, zone to uh, food producing um, community uh, kind of like agriculture system which can again sell food to the uh to this family and, and and they have plans to go into kind of like the you know high-end organic food market so it's going to be i mean i really hope we can make it happen uh, i'm working on the design at the moment but uh it's incredibly exciting to be able to design a 2000 acre five zone permaculture farm you know which is what this is going to be uh so exciting to like learn about all the tropical species that are there because it is quite different. I'm having to I'm having to research a lot on it because even though we're in the same country and I'm only like maybe eight hours away, it's like completely different. It's yeah, no it tends like deep travel. jungle. <laughs> oh, the deep jungle, man! But the species there is primary forest still there, which is great because mm. the first thing I said I wanted to do was like go and so we spent two days hiking in the primary growth forest that's there. Because the first thing I said was I want to see what this place 
wants to look like, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Of course. Um, and uh, so that's a privilege, actually, I think, as a designer, when you get to actually see that. Um, and to have these trees, do you remember, do you ever, do you ever come across them? The chi, el, el Chico Zapote? Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. You've, you've, you've come across it. I think um, I even heard about it when I was man, in that things- area of Mexico, too. Yeah, it's like a famous one. It's a super slow-growing tropical hardwood, and it like you can build houses in a river with them, and they'll last for a hundred years. Wow! Like they're crazy, aren't they? And they're so beautiful. So I have a bunch of them on the, you know, like these grandmother, grandfather trees, um, like that, and then these all these other ones like Santa Maria and Palo Blanco and. Um, Oh my God, like so many, um, all these different mahoganies. It's uh, so incredible to see that and that they have a kind of a, light, a living seed bank there. And uh, I've been reading a lot of stuff on um, rotational grazing and, and how to do it properly in the tropics, you know, like what species to put along the edges so that you have like, so that the cattle have a diverse amount of forage. And, you know, like, yeah, just so. Um, it's exciting for me. I was, you know, very upfront with with the, with them. I said, look, this, I, I, I can, I have a, a very good idea of how the broad strokes of this design are going to look, but I need to, I need to do a lot of uh, self education if I'm going to make it work. So, yeah, of course. Uh, I think that's important to to say that, you know, because we can't, as permaculture designers, be you know every detail of every system. I think it's like. Um, so yeah, but I'm really looking forward to it. So, like, if anyone has any uh, resources that they really liked on uh, kind of rotational grazing and silvopasture in the in the human tropics, I'm all ears. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, and there's other there's other so uh, to be honest, a big part for me the last um, sort of three or to go back to the wedding in the States uh, tomorrow. <laughs> so I've been, if it was just me, I would be had to say no to a lot of this work, but I've, I've sort of said, yeah, Jared's coming back, but very stressful to like have to leave when Adriana has actually had to start kind of leaving a couple of different times. There's just so much happening on the farm at the moment. It's hard. But Jeremy's coming back. We'll hopefully be able to dovetail that one a little and also work together on the projects, which is a big, a like working in. Well, that's good to hear. Well, look, on that note, like, I'm sure we could talk about in detail so many of the other things that you just kind of glossed over this time. But let's plan on doing another catch-up before too long. And before I let you go, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find more information about your projects and how they can reach out and possibly even come visit and help out? Yeah, for sure. Um, what I mentioned was the courses uh, at the Italian Organics. Um, and we're just coming to the end of a, of a PDC in conjunction with EMAP. Um, and we have plenty more like um, permaculture, uh, permaculture courses, natural building courses. This course just specific on, on on food forests coming up. Our good friend Brock and and Kat. Uh, so there's plenty on uh, at Organics 
forward slash courses or just going to Athlete Land Organics and, and, and courses. And then our project, you can find us at Instagram, Grankasikin, G-R-J-A-T-Z-A-I-N, Grankasikin or grankasikin.com. Uh, there and also some information on um, which is called Regenera and there's a link to that on the on the graphic page so hopefully that uh, we're going to so we've got a videographer so we're going to start putting out some online content and getting some videos up there so hopefully people will have more tangible things to follow man that's great that's I mean it's so great to hear how much this place has matured and is starting to really come into its own over time. You guys are doing fantastic work out there and I'm so glad that I was able to be a part of it in the beginning and see you guys just fly and take off with it uh, since I've moved on. Um, let, yeah, let's yeah. definitely not wait so long to, to catch up again. And I really encourage people to reach out and uh, get in touch with you directly to see how they can pitch in and, and come and see it for themselves. So yeah, Neil, sure. I, say I hi to say everybody there yeah, for me. Adrian, Jeremy, when he comes I want to back, say, I want to Nico, Ricardo, Ramirez. Uh, I want to say one more thing as well, which is, you know, like, um, yeah, you know, and I never got to say it. I should have started. You know, we're so grateful to everything you did when your, your, your construction gave us that, like, solid foundation, the buildings off. Uh, I'm super grateful to you, Oliver. And well, thank you, Neil. That means the world to me. I'm so happy and proud of you guys and everywhere that you're taking this project. Uh, it makes me so glad to, to see where this is going, how much of an effort you made to, to include the community and how those efforts keep expanding as you reach out further and further. Um, all the best of luck to you. I know we're going to be in contact again real soon, but uh, we'll wrap it up for now and we'll do another uh, catch up again before too long. Oliver, great to talk to you. Likewise. All right. Take care, Neil. Take care, man. Bye. Bye. All right, that wraps things up for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this interview and want to find more like it, as well as articles and other resources, you can find the full library of previous podcasts at AbundantEdge.com. The best part is that you can search by topic rather than wading through more than 100 interviews by typing in any keyword or topic that you're looking for in the search function on the podcast page. I've spoken to experts on everything from growing your own food, building homes from natural materials, to beekeeping, vermicompost, permaculture design, philosophy, and so much more. Thank you so much to those of you who've taken the time to reach out via comments and emails. Your contributions help me to make this the conversation that it's intended to be and helps me create more of the content around the topics that you're interested in. If you have any insights, advice, questions, or suggestions, be sure to send them to me at info at abundantedge.com, and I'll look forward to being in touch. New episodes come out every Friday like clockwork, so I'll catch you on next week's show.